What's up, sober family? Welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze. I was never raised to know what self-love is. You know, and I know that my parents always loved me and everything, but I just never, I never realized what it was like to love myself until now at the age of 33, you know. Today, my guest is Michelle Mendoza, a certified nurse assistant who's in her first year of sobriety like me. Over the past several months, she's become a friend and an inspiration to me, so I wanted all of you to be inspired by her story as well. Most of all, by the way, she's learning to love herself first. I'm your host, Dana Crawl. I'm a former Army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military. I stayed on a roller coaster of rock bottoms, recoveries, and relapses until finally, in the winter of 2022, I found my way out of the cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone, so let's break up with booze together. And with me in the studio, as always, are Al K. Halfrey, my spirit animal for sobriety, and Spruce, my PTSD service dog. Before we get rolling, I just want to quickly say that if you're new to sobriety and looking for a group of people to be your sober community, please come join the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye Sober Family Facebook group. The link is in the show notes, or you can search Facebook groups for I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. Michelle, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, Al and Spruce and I are excited to hear uh, your sober story and then how boundaries and values have kind of intersected with that story. And uh, just thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Dana. I'm really glad I'm here. <laughs> I guess to start off, I was kind of a late bloomer when it came to drinking. Uh, when I was like a freshman in high school, all my friends started drinking, but my parents were very, well, my dad, I was living with my dad at the time, and he was very strict. And I was very, I was also very obedient. So I was raised like kind of sheltered and everything. And I was just a very, very obedient kid. So I never dared to cross my parents and um I remember a time when um me and a few of my friends freshman year I was hanging out at one of their houses and it was like around 10 o'clock and my dad was supposed to pick me up and so he was on his way and everything and I wanted to stay so bad because then all of a sudden everybody started drinking and I couldn't because I had to go home and then Come Monday, everybody was talking about it and how much fun they had. And I was like left out. And mm -hmm. needless to say, after that, I wasn't like friends with them very much after that. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that kind of just really started the whole, you know, FOMO. So, yeah. yeah. And then I didn't really start drinking until I was 19. So then after that, I drank like almost every day. And at that time, you know, people don't say anything about it because you're young and you know, you're just partying. So it's just like, I just kind of went for it. And at one point I didn't even have a job and I was just going out with a friend of mine, like almost every day and getting free drinks. I wasn't even paying for the alcohol that I was getting. So that just went on for a few years. And I, but I always had like a really bad, um, I always had a really bad behavior with it. And I always, I think I, I never really had a very high self-esteem and I never really had very much self-love and so I kind of allowed a lot of boundary crossing from like people that I didn't even know or even people close to me and so over the years I think like because I was because I didn't have a very high self-esteem the alcohol made me feel better about myself and it made me feel like I had some sort of self-worth 
Um, and so that's part, I think that's part of the reason, like looking back, I think that's part of the reason why I continue to drink so much. Over the years, I always made kind of stupid mistakes. Like I got a DUI when I was 23 and I, my relationships never really lasted. And a lot of the reason why, you know, the guys always said they wanted to break up with me, with me was mainly because of my drinking, because it was always out of control and all this kind of stuff. So I went through that. And then finally, I remember when I was like 28, um, I was seeing this guy who, when we first started seeing each other, he had a DUI. And so he had to do like alcohol counseling and all that kind of, and had to stop drinking. And so a year into it, we were seeing each other for about a year and he was sober for a year. And he started telling me how not drinking for a year brought him so much mental clarity. And he started telling me all these things. And I felt like I was really interested. I was like, mental clarity, that just sounds, you know, that kind of sounds really nice. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's the first time that I ever like thought about trying to not drink, you know, kind of sober curious. Right. But it didn't last long because soon after that, he and I kind of like went our separate ways and I didn't handle it very well. And so um, I kind of went further into like the whole of alcohol and yeah, matters just got a lot worse. And I, even then, like, I still really didn't realize how low of a self-esteem I had and how I had absolutely no boundaries. So I allowed like a lot of boundary crossing from a lot of people. Like I would go to the bar and just, you know, meet random guys and, it was just not, you know, I was very promiscuous. And so at the time it didn't seem like a big deal, but the longer I'm sober, the more I see that, you know, I really, I didn't need all that. You know what I mean? Finally, I, I think last year was really like the biggest year when I started kind of realizing that I did have a bit of a problem over the years. I think over the years, I, I kind of did know. And with the job that I have now, for like the last three years, I would always call in for New Year's Day. And because, um, you know, I would always go out and party with my friends New Year's Eve. Last year, I decided not to do that. I still drank New Year's Eve, but I didn't call in the following day. I went to work. And when I got off of work, a couple of my friends were at my house and they were drinking, taking shots of Jameson. And I told myself, well, you know, I went made it to work today. I deserve a treat. So I decided to drink with my friends and I just kind of went hard with shots and beer. We ended up going out to the bar, like the local bar. And um, the last day, I think I lasted maybe an hour before I blacked out. And the last thing I remember was just chugging a beer. And from what I was told, um, we left that bar. We went to the casino across the street and I started acting belligerent and asking for more shots. And the bartender, you know, cut me off, which rightfully so, because I wasn't behaving very well, you know. Yeah. And so they called the cops on me and my other friend. They gave us a courtesy ride home. And somehow I decided to drive my car back to the casino. And apparently I went back to the bar and tried to ask for more drinks. And I guess I threw up on the bar. Wow. Yeah. And then the cops came back and they arrested me for trespassing. Oh, no. 
Yeah. So it was, it was really rough. And then the craziest thing is that the following morning I woke up and I could smell food and I could hear people talking and I thought I was home and I thought my roommate was making breakfast. And when I actually like opened my eyes and came to, I was in jail Oh my! <laughs> and I just, yeah, I started really freaking out and crying and it was just at that moment, it was very devastating for me. <laughs> like, I'm a sensitive soul. I don't belong in jail. and so um it was a really it was really hard and it was like a huge like eye-opener after that I had to stay sober and I had court dates and everything and so I had to had to stay sober and at least do counseling or I had to do like AA or something Mm -hmm. and so um I ended up doing Celebrate Recovery because here in Hawthorne there's like really nothing except for that And so I did that for a couple months and I had my court date and thankfully they kind of went easy on me because I was blacked out. So I don't exactly remember what um, it ended up as, but I think they cleared everything because I was actually really um, like, I was kind of following the rules, you know, like I was going to celebrate recovery and I stayed Mm -hmm. sober for a little bit. So once all that was done, um, I started drinking again. And of course I made like an ass of myself, like in front of my friends, just doing, you know, stupid stuff like crying and everything. And, um, yeah, throughout that, I kept on going back and forth. And then finally in May, I think was the worst. That was a really bad month for me. I was in Reno visiting a friend and we had about five bottles of wine between us. And we were just hanging out at her house, just watching, you know, scary movies and drinking wine and bullshitting. And, you know, it wasn't anything extravagant. And when I drink, I don't just sip on wine. Like I drink quickly. Yeah. (laughs) So I just, you know, I guess I drank everything too fast and I blacked out and I don't, you know, obviously I don't remember this part, but my friend said she had a camera in her house and she, she saw through the camera that I left and I got in my car and I don't even know where I thought I was going, but apparently I left her house blacked out and I drove around. And when I came to, I woke up in my car on top of a bunch of like rocks. Like I was on a hill kind of type thing with rocks and I had blown out a tire like my entire undercarriage was just destroyed because I was stuck. I couldn't even like, oh, I couldn't wow. even get out of the spot that I was. Yeah. And I called AAA and I called my brother to save me. And he came to pick me up and I sat in the passenger seat of his car. And because I called AAA, they called the police. Oh, so, yeah. So the police came and thankfully I was in my brother's passenger seat. So they couldn't arrest me. Okay. Yeah. So thankfully that saved me, but it was a really, it was one of my like craziest moments. Cause I have no idea where I thought I was going. And mm-hmm. I just like, I never thought I was going to, you know, do something like that. And my car was just pretty almost destroyed. Uh, thankfully it was still salvageable. So I was able to get like repairs on it, but it's, it wasn't cheap. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And then a week after that, uh, because I live in Hawthorne, we celebrate Armed Forces um, 
like for like the whole three days like a it's like a weekend thing so everybody goes big on our forces weekend and everybody parties all weekend and so I wanted to stop drinking but I didn't want to miss out on armed forces so I told myself that I would stop after that and one night I guess I was blacked out again and I apparently um at some point I was sitting on a bar stool from what I was told and I fell back and I fell so hard that my head kind of bounced on the floor a little bit and the bartender said she heard like my head hit the floor and oh, so wow. she was really concerned that I was like bleeding or I you know cracked my head open so she called um she called the police and I guess they came by they checked on me they said I was fine and they gave me a courtesy ride home, but I couldn't even stand up or walk to get into the car. I guess a few people had to help me get into the, you know, the cop car. So that was a very embarrassing story to hear. And on top of that, my roommate and her mom told me that when I got home, I started throwing everything in my room around, like my, I like threw my computer off my desk and I started hitting myself. And I started calling myself a piece of shit. And oh. yeah, it was just, I was, my my friend's mom told me that she had never seen me do anything like that. She was like, it looked really like she was scared for me. And the way they described it, it just sounded, it just sounded so sad that I was in such like a self-hate place, you know, to like hit myself and tell myself that like, it just wasn't. It's just not a good, you know, it's just not a good place to be. And I felt sorry for myself. The following weekend, um, I went to a friend's house after work one day and I didn't want to drink. I was trying to not drink. And I went to my friend's house just to hang out for a little bit. And somebody had hand me, handed me a beer and it was open. And I was like, well, nobody else must not think that I have a problem. So I'm just going to keep drinking. So I just had a beer and then the fight with myself began where I was like, okay, I'm a little bit sober. I can have another one. I should be fine. And then I have another one and I keep like trying to convince myself to stop, but then I want to keep going. So it's like this battle of like, uh, I'll just stop now. No, I can have another one. And then all of a sudden I just kept, kept drinking. Um, I ended up finally going home and I had to work the next day at six in the morning and I had beer in the fridge so I just grabbed a few beers from what I remember. I just grabbed a few beers and I was just in my room watching TV, drinking beer. And then I fell asleep and I guess I fell asleep around two in the morning. But when I woke up, uh, it was like six fifteen, So I was late to work and I had empty beer cans all like probably like 10 empty beer cans on my floor. And I didn't even realize that I drink that much. And so I was at work. I was late. I felt like shit. I was hungover like pretty much still a little bit drunk like and I just spent the entire day in the bathroom throwing up and I don't hang over well at all anyway I throw I like throw up all day I can't eat anything I can't keep anything down but and I always tell myself that I want to stop you know because I you know I was throwing up all day I didn't want to keep doing that to myself but then at one point I was like I really have to stop and I was just like I can't do this anymore. I can't keep, I can't keep doing this anymore. And so 
I don't really know what clicked that that was it. Like May 30th was the day, last day that I drank. And I just, I haven't looked back since. And I have, I've definitely struggled. Like the first four months of sobriety were really hard. And I kind of went into a depression, but I'm really glad that I am where I am and that I stopped drinking. And a lot of it, I've realized that I've just haven't had, I was never raised to know what self-love is, you know, and I know that my parents always loved me and everything, but I just never, I never realized what it was like to love myself until now at the age of 33, you know, so it's been quite a wild ride. <laughs> That's Wow. And so congratulations on, uh, as of this recording in a couple of days, you'll hit six months if I'm doing the math, right? Yes. Yes. So that's fantastic. First of all, congratulations on that. Thank and you. yeah, tell me more about that self-love piece because I was I, I wrote that down verbatim. Like I was, ne I was never raised to know what self-love is. And I just thought, mm -hmm. gosh, that just resonates so much with me. I, you know, I had parents who loved me and, and made, sure that I knew I was loved, but I don't know that they made sure that I knew what it was to love myself. And and mm -hmm. now I'm as a dad of three boys, I'm like, oh shit, am I, <laughs> maybe I, I hope I'm teaching them how yeah, to, yeah. what, what self-love is because that's, you know, what more important thing could we possibly know so that we don't descend into that hole. But tell me more about, tell me more about that because I thought that was such a beautiful and profound statement. Thank you. Well, I think over the years, I, um, I mean, like I said, my parents really loved me and everything, but I never really, I, I was, I've, I've always been a really big people pleaser. And so I think because I never really realized that I could do things for myself to make myself happy. I always thought that I needed other people's approval. And I think a lot of it was because of my parents, because I always wanted, you know, I always wanted their approval and everything. But as I, I think as I grew up and like being in high school, you know, like that whole, I mean, nobody likes high school. I don't really think anybody ever really has a great time in high school. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was just, I think that just like made it worse though, you know, because I had really bad, you know, I had really bad acne. I was not, I was not very cute. You know what I mean? And all of my friends had boyfriends. And so really, you know, really superficial things that I thought were important. You know, I never had those things and I never really, you know, I would never really talk to my parents about it. And I don't know, like over the years, I just realized that I always, I was always seeking approval and always seeking love from somebody else, like in relationships. And so when my relationships never worked out, I would always be devastated because in my mind, it was like, okay, I'm not good enough. Like there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case, you know? And a lot of like, very recently, I feel really passionate about boundaries because I realized that self-love and self-esteem go in hand in hand with boundaries. And because yeah. I never had any of that, I never had boundaries. Like I, for example, there was this guy that I was seeing for about six years on and off. And it was, um, it was like a friends with benefits type of thing, but 
after a while, I kind of realized that he was like the only one getting the benefits out of everything. And I would kind of go above and beyond for him. Like everything was always, you know, whenever he wanted to see me, I would go like, if he would tell me jump, I would say how high kind of thing. Right. And so I always thought that by doing so, I was going to, you know, get a relationship out of it or get something out of it, you know, but it always left me feeling lonely and like, you know, not enough and everything. And it's not until recently that I realized, like, I've taken a lot, like, I've given a lot during that with that guy. And then I realized that the reason why was because I just wanted love and acceptance. And I finally ended things when I realized, like, I deserve better. You know, I deserve respect and I deserve, like, someone who's not going to just call me when they're bored in the middle of the night, you know? And it's like a lot of it is because I'm finally getting to the point where I'm realizing that I have at least some some sort of self-love. I definitely want to emphasize on the having boundaries. One thing that I really learned is that a couple of years ago, I, I was in therapy and I tried the subject of boundaries kind of came up. And so my therapist said that I needed to like, you know, get, have boundaries. And I was like, how do I even do that? You know, because I, I feel like even if you want to have boundaries, it's really hard to just have them. It, you have to learn a lot about yourself, I think, and about what you want to know what you don't want. And that's where the boundaries come from. I saw a Instagram reel of Whitney Cummings last week. And she said something along the lines of the boundaries are for you. They're not for the other person, you know, they're to help yourself and protect yourself. You know, it's just there to, to kind of help you know, like what you, like what you deserve, you know what I mean? And so I think it's like, I think it's just really, I feel like boundaries are really important in sobriety because you have to learn what you need And you have to be able to kind of just accept yourself and accept the things that you need. And if something comes along that kind of threatens that, you need to be able to know when to say no. You know, after I quit drinking, I realized that that was something that I was doing for myself. And I usually don't, you know, I usually don't do that. I don't do things for myself. I do things for other people. And when I finally stop drinking that was something that I had to repeat repeat to myself that I did it for myself for my health and for my future and I always you know I always forget that sometimes but it's something really it's just something really important to always do certain things like that for yourself and for your future and I know a lot of it is because I'm finally getting to the point where I'm learning to love myself yeah and I normally ask this question at the end of the show, but I'll ask it here, which is, you know, this is the show for newly sober people like us who are learning to love ourselves instead of booze. And so what are some things that you've been doing in the last six months to show, to show that love to yourself? What's, what, what's an example or two that comes to mind? I think doing like, for me personally, trying not to be a people person. So I've been kind of choosing like, Okay, so in the past, I would probably go 
go out to dinner, go out of town with a couple of friends of mine or something, even though I didn't want to, even though I wanted to stay home and sleep. And now it's like, I'm kind of voicing and like kind of telling everybody what I want for myself. Like if somebody invites me out on a night that I have to work, I say no, you know, because I want to go to sleep early and go to work refreshed, like instead of pushing myself, like it's just little things like that to where I'm learning my limits and I'm learning how to say no to a lot of things. Yeah. And I'm doing it, you know, for, for my own mental health. And I'm, I just started kind of getting back into yoga, which I used to love yoga. Um, I used to do it all the time. And so I'm kind of getting back into that. And I think learning more about that, I think is a lot, has to do a lot with like, you know, my growth and who I am as a person. And then when it comes to school also, because I'm taking pre-nursing classes right now, I'm putting that first more than I ever did before. And I'm actually doing a lot better in school than I ever was. Awesome. Tell me more if you would, because I don't know how many of my listeners, uh, sorry, Al and Spruce, I don't know how many of our listeners, um, <laughs> cause, cause, sorry, I, I got to include my co-host here. You're looking good, Al. Yeah, you can't um, leave them out. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so I don't know how many of our listeners uh, are, are live in small towns, but have you found that it's been difficult uh, to find alternative things to do. I mean, I know you said Hawthorne's a, not a big, not a big place. There's not a whole lot of things to do, uh, necessarily other than the bars. So like, what have you been doing to fill that, to fill that void? And I maybe speak to the folks out there who are, uh, from small town America, like you are. Well, like I said, the first four months, I kind of just stayed in cause I was kind of going through like a depression, but a lot of it too, I've just, the biggest thing is just staying away from the bar. And, um, if I, if I ever get like, when I ever get like tempted, I always just like text my friends or I'll go to a couple friends house that I know don't drink. So I kind of just, I don't really do much every now and then I'll go to Reno for a week. Um, and I'll like go take a yoga class in Reno, but for the most part, I there. I mean, it's really hard because there really isn't much to do here. And so my biggest thing was just as long as I stayed away from the bar and stayed away from parties, that was kind of a big success for me. Yeah, thank you for that. And I, just going back to the seeking others approval, I mean, has it been, has that made it easier staying away from the bar then? You feel like you it sounds like you're connecting with people that already know you or that you know them a little bit better. And so maybe there's more trust there and it's not this, like, I'm, I have to go meet a stranger kind of thing. Has it been, has that helped then? I've been really fortunate that a lot of my friends have been so supportive. And so even the ones who do drink, try not to drink around me. Cool. And so, yeah, so it's been really nice that I can actually, you know, spend time with people and I won't have to feel tempted. And thankfully at the point that I'm now, I don't feel like drinking anyway. So it's a that makes it a little easier, but it's really funny because when I, when I really started to get into like being more sober and like being really like open about it, 
and telling people, everyone was just a little too excited for me. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious and, and sorry, I'm kind of going in a weird chrono chronological order, but like going back to, you know, the behavior, um, when you were blacked out, like as what's that like? Cause I'm thinking back to my own blackouts and like, I, it's, it's just weird, but for you remembering those times now, now that you got six months of sobriety, like, how does it feel to think about those type, those stories that you're talking about? I mean, I just, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated to hear because you're just such a, just such a calm, sweet, loving person, like that, you know, I'm trying to imagine you in those in acting like that. And I, and I can't, but is that like, tell me, tell me more about the blackout stuff and how you reflect back on it now. Well, I'm glad you can't see it. Cause I'm sure it's like a horrible, horrible <sighs> picture, <laughs> but I, you know, when I think about it, it's, it's really wild to me because I, I can't see myself behaving that way. Yeah. You know, and it's like, cause I'm not that, I'm not that person. Like I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of like bad, regrettable things, like even to people, even to friends, you know, and they've forgiven me for the things that I've done. And like the guilt that I've, that I've carried has been really heavy. And because of the fact that I'm not that kind of person. So when I've, when I've woken up from a fog, from a blackout, like the night that I went, um, that I blacked out from the wine and I was driving and I ruined my car. I never thought in a million years I was going to do that. And it's just, it's crazy to me to think that I, to think that I even did that, you know? So to me, it's like, I try to think about it and it's like, that's not who I am. Like, it's not me. That's, I never, you know, I would never do anything like that. So it's just, it's really mind boggling how, alcohol really like for me personally affects my brain so much that it just like shuts, you know, my frontal brain off because that's yeah. where your decision-making and your behavior is, you know? And so that part of my brain is just shut off when I drink. And that's just, that's crazy to me. What about the FOMO too? The, and thank you. That's fascinating. Like the whole, uh, yeah, just the, the blackout stuff just is, fascinating in a scary in a scary shocking kind of way but i'm so grateful to you for speaking so candidly about it can you tell me more about like the um the fomo aspect of it because it sounds that was something that kind of came up throughout your story too was like you know how have you dealt with fomo since then do you still feel like you have a fear of missing out with friend you know I, I know you said that they're not necessarily drinking as much around you or, or they try to not drink around you. So that helps, but like, is there still a FOMO now and how do you deal with it now at the six month mark? Every, I think that probably is my biggest hurdle because every now and then I do feel it and me and my friends may not drink around me, but obviously they still drink and they go out and they do their own thing. And I had a, like, I had a certain friend, like she was my designated party friend and so whenever, like now, whenever she goes out with like her friends and a couple of my other friends, um, and they just like, you know, they just have a good time for a second. I do have FOMO because, you know, I think we have like this problem with romanticizing alcohol. Right. So yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, I miss those times when I used to go to the bar and not care and and everything. So the FOMO still kind of comes around because 
I don't see those friends as often because they're out drinking most, most weekends. And so I do end up getting it, but what I do is I just kind of, I just kind of ride the moment out and I just kind of let it happen because I know that I'm not going to drink. And most of the time it kind of happens when I'm at work because I work on the weekends. And so I'll hear about everybody's partying Uh and everything. And so I'll tell myself like, okay, to make up for it, I'll just go home and put some alcohol-free beers in the fridge and I'll just enjoy that. And then by the time I get home, I like forget about it and I just go to bed. So it's just like, I kind of just write it out and I try to treat myself by like, you know, saying I'll drink some alcohol-free beer and I just end up like, I end up not even doing it anyway. So a lot of it is just kind of letting the moment pass because I'd rather, I'd rather not do it. And I know that I would regret it. And, you know, I just, I'd rather just not put myself in that situation. Right on. Tell me what are some things, you know, back to the self-love piece, you know, which I think is the most powerful and compelling part of your, your story. Um, Tell me what are some, what are some things, what's at least one thing that you love about yourself and that you've discovered in the past several months that uh, you maybe couldn't have said before that now you feel like you can say about yourself now? One thing that I've really learned is that I'm a really patient person and I am a really calm person. So whenever I see like my friends or anybody around me kind of going through their own struggles, you know, I start thinking about, you know, my own self and like how I would react if I were in their shoes. And I don't know, the thing is, is that I've just become a lot more, I have become a lot more calm and a lot more like, I don't know how to put this, like, just not as anxious, I guess. And I'm just, I like that about myself. I like that I'm calm and that I do things like yoga and meditate because I feel like that just makes me more, that's just going to make me more of like a caring person, you know? So there, you know, there are a few things that I'm finally learning to love about myself. And granted, there's a lot that I don't really like about myself, you know, but I'm learning to kind of accept those things. And I want to be able to learn new things and, you know, learn something new about myself that I can love about myself. What What would you say, um, you know, what would you say to other people who are early in sobriety like us who are inside that first year, uh, you know, especially in those first critical few months that can be the hardest in some ways? Uh, what would you what would you say to encourage people who are in that place right now? I would say keep going go to meetings, listen to the podcasts, read the quit lit, you know, cause I think having community and having support, I think is also very huge. Um, for me, if it wasn't for my roommate being so understanding and being there for me, I think I, she made the world a difference because she didn't judge me when I was going through the depression phase and sleeping all the time. I wasn't really taking care of the house. And so she, she was just very, very understanding because I was always, I was always in like a bad mood and crying all the time. And I think that's kind of a big deal is just allowing yourself to feel the emotions, cry if you have to, and do some, do some sort of meeting, because I think, I think that's what helps a lot in reading a lot of the quit lit has helped too, because there's so many different perspectives 
of quitting alcohol and you're bound to find something that resonates with you and something that'll help you get through it. You know, it sounds like you've done a ton of work for yourself, uh, with yourself and for yourself. Listen, uh, Michelle, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your story. And uh, I think that a lot of people are going to be blessed by this. And I know that it was a conversation that I needed to have, uh, that I need to be reminded of boundaries and that they are that they are for me. I think that's what I needed mm-hmm. to hear tonight, that the boundaries that I've started to create in my life were not about the other the mm-hmm. other people it was it was about me and it needs to be about me and i don't need to apologize for that so thank you for that yes, yeah exactly well we will look forward to seeing all of you here on the next episode of i kissed alcohol goodbye and until then al and spruce and michelle and i send you all of our sober love and we tell you uh <laughs> we say goodbye alcohol and Mwah! hello life Mwah. much love to you all and peace <laughs>